are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. We're going to be Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 through 8-1. Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 through 8-1. Hear the word of the Lord. The gospel writer Matthew says this. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When he came down the mountain, great crowds followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Can we say thanks be to God? Now I wonder, what captures your attention? What are the things in life that just spark awe and wonder? When was the last time you uttered the phrase, oh my gosh, that is amazing? Maybe it was this past week as you looked around the Pittsburgh region or the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and you saw those gorgeous burnt oranges and reds and yellows on the hillsides and the trees. Maybe, maybe it was you were amazed that the, that team that's black and yellow pulled off a win this past Monday. Or maybe you stood amazed like I was last week as Pastor Luke preached and informed us that he goes to Wendy's at 10 p.m. at night to get a Baconator. I'm still amazed uh, by that. But I wonder, have you ever been so amazed by something that you drop everything in the moment to have it? Have you ever been so enamored with someone or something that you're willing to go and tell others about it because you just can't experience it alone? You have to experience it with others. This is what's going on at the end of Jesus' words. Crowds are amazed. They're leaving everything to follow Jesus. We spent the last several months looking at the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. We spent the last months looking at three chapters 107 verses, over 2,000 words. And I, I wondered this morning, my friends, what is your response to Jesus' words? What are your thoughts about this Jesus? Are you amazed by his words? 
Do they, do they fall on your ears like an out-of-tune piano? You just can't bear to listen to them anymore. Or are you so amazed that you, like these crowds, will leave everything to follow him? See, I'm, I'm convinced by this passage and the, the whole of Scripture that it is not enough to be amazed with Jesus. It's not enough for us to be amazed by Jesus. We must also follow Jesus. And if, if you zone out for the rest of the sermon, that is what I want you to get. It is not enough to simply be amazed by Jesus, his words and his ways and his works. We also must follow Jesus in his words, his ways, and his works. And we're going to see this through two different lenses this morning. The first point is going to be a teacher who teaches like no other. Teaches, a teacher who teaches like no other. And the second point is this, followers who follow no other. Followers who follow no other. A teacher who teaches like no other and followers who follow no other. So my friends, my family in Christ, you ready to dive in? First point. A teacher who teaches like no other. Look with me in verses 28 to 29. He says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Here we have Matthew, formerly known as Levi, the tax collector, stepping back into the narrative as the narrator. And he says this phrase in verse 28, and when he finished these sayings. Now that will not be the last time that Matthew uses that phrase in the Gospel of Matthew. Just three chapters later, we'll see this in chapter 11, when Jesus had finished teaching his 12 disciples. And then you flip over again to Matthew 13, and when Jesus has finished these parables, flip again Matthew 19, 1. Now, when Jesus had finished these words, and then again in Matthew 26, just two chapters before the end of the gospel, he says again, when Jesus had finished all these words. Now, what is Matthew doing here? He's marking off five blocks of teaching. Why? He's giving us a subtle hint, a, a subtle nudge, if you will, to remember another five sections of teaching that comes from Jesus' Bible, the Hebrew Bible. Where else in the Bible do we see five sections of teaching? The Pentateuch, right? Penta means five. It's the first five books of the Bible that who wrote? Someone help me out. Moses. Moses wrote five books. Jesus has five sections of teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. Those five books are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And where did Moses receive his teaching from God? On the top of a mount. And where is Jesus teaching from? A mount. But here's the difference. Moses had to utter the words, thus says the Lord. Jesus from the mount says, I say to you. 
Matthew is trying to get us to pay attention to what was just said. Matthew wants you to see Jesus different than every other teacher and scribe. Matthew wants you to see Jesus as the one that Moses pointed to. We see this in Deuteronomy where Moses says this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. This is perhaps why the people were amazed. Because Jesus is that prophet. Remember what we said a prophet was? A prophet is one who declares the words of God to show the way to God. And Jesus is this true and better prophet. This is why the crowds were astonished, literally dumbfounded at his teaching. This is why those on the hillside did not hear them like one of their present-day teachers, like the scribes or prophets of the past, but as one who has authority, Matthew says. Do you see what Matthew sees? Do you hear what they heard? You stand amazed at what this teacher who teaches like no other has said. And, and what does it mean to be amazed? What does it mean to be amazed? You ever thought about that before? What, what does it mean? Um, amazement is when you are taken beyond the current categories that you use to explain or understand something. It's when you are taken beyond the categories that you carry around to understand or explain something. Many of you remember, many of you remember when you first saw this thing. Do we have a photo of it, Christian? Y'all remember that? First generation iPod. We're wondering what in the world is that device? But what do we make of this? And then you hear Steve Jobs say, say, say this phrase, you can fit 1,000 songs into your pocket. We are amazed because all I was used to at that time was a five-disc CD changer. And some of you are amazed right now wondering what is a CD changer. Or you might be amazed like, wait a minute, there's a time where you had to carry around your phone in one pocket and your music in another pocket. Yes. I know I'm blowing the categories of your understanding right now. See, when Steve, you can take that bright thing down right now. I woke you guys up this morning with that photo. Um, what Steve Jobs did, he blew the categories of our understanding of what it meant to listen to music. And now Jesus is deepening the categories of what it means to follow God. He's saying, I'm not looking for outward behavioral conformity. I'm looking for an inward heart that matches the outward expression. I don't just want half-hearted disciples who do the right things for the wrong reasons. I want wholehearted followers who do the right things for God's glory. Jesus was teaching as one who had authority, he says in verse 29. They didn't have a, a category for this. Because when their scribes taught, 
They had to begin every sentence, every teaching with Moses said this, or the prophet Jeremiah said this, or thus saith the Lord. But Jesus comes along and says, you have heard that it was said, but truly I say to you, I say to you. He's not categorizing anything. He's not qualifying anything. He is saying, I am saying to you, why? Well, one, he is God in the flesh. Do you remember in Genesis 1, what happens when God speaks over creation? It responds. What happens when Jesus speaks on the hillside? People respond. But second, why else were they amazed at his teaching? It's because he was correcting false teaching that was going around at that time. Jesus was deconstructing the misrepresentation of the law by the Pharisees and the scribes. And listen, Jesus did not deconstruct in order to destroy the word or to destroy the people of God or the word of God. Jesus deconstruct in order to reconstruct what God's word originally intended and to restore the people of God. Deconstruction is this buzz, faddish word today. And most people use it, dare I say, in a lazy way. Where they're de deconstructing in order to destroy, to cancel people. See, I'm, I'm convinced that there is a good type of deconstruction and a bad type of deconstruction. Destructive deconstruction, it takes the world's constructs as a lens to destroy the word of God and to destroy the people of God. And this isn't new. This goes all the way back to Genesis 3, where the serpent says, did God really say But then there is redemptive deconstruction. It's using the convictions and the constructs of the word of God as the lens, not to destroy others, not to reject others, but to reconstruct the world and the people of God as God has already intended it. This is what Martin Luther did back in the 1500s. Anybody know who Martin Luther is? Martin Luther was one of the early reformers. And in Germany, the Roman Catholic Church was teaching godless laws, man-made traditions. And here comes along Martin Luther. He condemns it. He points out what is wrong. But you know what he didn't do? He did not abandon the church in the process. He did not abandon the people in the process. He didn't just point out the problems and then leave. No, Luther, what he did, he didn't just point out the problems. He proposed solutions not based on his preferences, not based on his ideologies or the world's preferences. No, he proposed solutions based on the foundation of God's word and not the ways of the world. 
He didn't cancel the church, nor God, nor the word of God, nor even the people who distorted the word of God. He, like Jesus, deconstructed in order to reconstruct and to restore what was broken. It's the same with Jesus. That's why they're amazed. He's not teaching like their scribes and their Pharisees. He says, I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. You see, Jesus just didn't love the word of God. He lived the word of God. He didn't throw away or do away with the false teachers. He invited them to come in and be changed and be restored by this word. Because one other thing that Jesus does as he teaches, which is another reason why I think they're amazed, they're amazed at his authoritative teaching, is that when you start to understand what Jesus is saying, you begin to understand you. That when you begin to read Jesus' words, they begin to read you. See, Jesus' words aren't amazing and authoritative just because he is who he is. They're amazing because he's telling us who we really are. It's easy not to murder. Oh, it's really difficult not to be angry with somebody. He tells us he wants us to give to the needy. But what do you want when you want to give to the needy? Do you want their eyes on you, praising you? Or do you want their eyes on Jesus, praising Jesus? He tells us he wants us to pray. But are you praying in front of others so that others see you and see how great you are? So you'll be known by others? Or are you praying so that you know the one who knows what you need before you ever ask. You begin to read Jesus' words, they begin to read you. Are you amazed at his words? Are you amazed at who he is? And why else has Matthew broken up all these teachings this way? And when he finished these sayings, Matthew broke it up this way because divine revelation leads to the world's separation. That when the word of God is revealed, it will lead to a separation to those who will follow the ways of Jesus or follow the ways of the world. You'll follow this teacher who teaches like no other, or you'll follow the words of others. And that's our second point. We follow those, and we follow, we're followers who follow no other. Look with me in 8.1. When he came down off the mountain, great crowds followed him. Matthew is ending this sermon the same way it began. You read in chapter 5, verse 1, he went up on the mountain, and the crowds followed him. And now he's coming down off the mountain, and the crowds followed him. 
And just as Moses came off Mount Sinai with the law, Jesus now comes down from the mountain and the crowds followed him. What is Matthew showing us? That it's not enough to be amazed by Jesus. They're amazed, but what else are they doing? They're following him. It's not enough to be a witness to his work and to his words. He invites you now to participate in his ways and his work. Here's the deal. Many things in your life can be amazing, but you won't follow them. You can call many things amazing, but they actually won't give you life, even if you do follow them. I remember uh, my, my friend Justin, he told me a story about how he rode his bike from Oklahoma City all the way to the southernmost point of South America. Rode a bike from, let me hear, I, I want you guys to hear me on this. From Oklahoma City to the southernmost point of South America. I was amazed, I was shocked. But you know what I'm not gonna do? Get on a bike and ride to the southernmost point of South America. I'm amazed that many of you run marathons. I'm not going to run anywhere because I don't believe in running unless I'm being chased. There's many things that I'm amazed by, but I will not follow. But Jesus' invitation is not for just us to be amazed by what he says. Not just to be amazed by what he does. But to also follow and live what he says. And love what he does. It's not enough to be amazed by Jesus' teaching and then not live by it. It's not enough to accept the mercy of God and yet not extend mercy to others. It's not enough to say that I love how Jesus loved me even while I was still his enemy and yet you still hate those who are your enemies. It's not enough to be amazed by it and then not follow it. And here's the reality. You can be amazed by Jesus and still not have saving faith. You can be amazed by Jesus and still not follow him. And here's the reality I want to submit to you. You are always following someone or something. You are always being discipled by someone or something. The question is not, when am I being discipled? When am I following? The question is, who are you following at any given moment in the day? Who is discipling you? Dallas Willard said it best in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. He says, one thing is for sure, you are somebody's disciple. I want that to sink in. You learned how to live from somebody else. There are no exceptions to this rule, for human beings are just the kind of creatures that have to learn and keep learning from others how to live. And Willard will go on in his book to say that it's not just enough to say, I'm amazed by Jesus only in private, but not in public as well. Because if you are following Jesus, do you know what he invites you to do? Invite others to follow him. Look what he says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. I love Eugene Peterson's translation of this. 
He says, Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized. That is the same word Matthew used. The authority of Jesus. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. It's not enough to say, I follow Jesus, and then invite nobody else to follow him with you. This is not a divine suggestion. It's a divine commission. It's not a divine suggestion. And I just wonder, are you so amazed by the work and ways and words of Jesus that you cannot help but tell others about this story? You see, if you're following Jesus and following no other, he beckons you, invites you, even commands you, given the marching orders, to go and tell others to come and follow this one who will give you life. And don't we naturally invite others to follow what we love? Don't we naturally want to include people in the things that we enjoy doing? I mean, if you were to come over to the main household, you would know what we love. You would know what we love by what our children talk about. Like on my day off these last two days, a couple of my kids said to me, hey, Daddy, can we go on a hike and get some donuts? Or when we hop into the car, hey, Daddy, can you put on the new John Mayer album? Now, where, where, where did they learn that from? From following me. They love what I love. And other times you come into the main household, you'll see them disobeying. Yes, pastor's kids do disobey. It's normal, just like your kids. And what you'll find as, after we give them some time to calm down, think about what they did, you know what they'll do? They'll come and share with us how they are feeling and ask for forgiveness. How did they learn that? It's because when their mama wrongs them or gets is too quick to anger with them, you know what she does? She calms down, walks up to the kids, and says, will you forgive me? I wasn't like acting like Jesus towards you today. Kids are following who their parents follow. And I just wonder, parents in the room, do you know that your children will follow someone? Not just will, they are. Right now. They're being discipled by someone. And whether you're aware of it or not, they will follow who you follow. And I just wonder if you were to ask them, who does mommy and daddy follow and no one else? What would they say? Compared to the way that you sit here this morning or compared to the way that you will watch a screen later today? What is your response? How do they see you respond to those things? What would they say you are amazed by? 
This is not just for parents. Regardless of your relationship status, your job status, your living status, who are you following and inviting others to follow? I mean, if I were to go ask your classmates, your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, what are you most amazed by? What would they tell me? If I were to ask them, who do you follow? Would they utter a certain news station? If I were to ask, whose words do you listen to and are amazed by, would they tell me a politician or a political party? Would they respond with a form of entertainment? Would they tell me who your favorite team is or your favorite interior decorator is? Would they tell me about the career path that you want to keep changing, thinking you'll find more amazement in life in that career path? Or would they say to me, we have no idea what they're amazed by because they're constantly shifting from one thing to another. Like an addict trying to get one hit here, it doesn't fulfill. Another hit there, it doesn't fulfill. Another hit there, it doesn't fulfill. I don't know what you follow because you keep running after multiple things, expecting them to provide life for you when they do not last. Whether it's your kids, your spouse, your neighbor, coworker, or a classmate, how they respond to those questions will reveal what or who you are amazed by and reveal what or who you follow. And whatever that thing is, that is the thing that we keep saying makes our story, defines our story, gives us meaning, purpose, identity, and when it fails to do so, we move on and try to find another thing to be amazed by. And Matthew's question for you, my question for you, is are you not only amazed by Jesus, but will you follow him? Will we follow him? Because as we continue to wake, make our way through the gospel of Matthew, there's something that we'll discover. Those crowds, if you were to read the rest of the gospel of Matthew this afternoon, those crowds, you know what they do? They dwindle in size. You know what they start calling him? A good teacher. That's what some of you think of him as. Just a good teacher. Don't believe that he's the son of God. But he's just a good moral teacher. Some of your friends, your neighbors think this about Jesus. That he's just a teacher. We're amazed by his words, but he's really not who he says he is. You've been around Renaissance long enough. You've heard me quote this man and quote this quote before, and it bears saying again that C.S. Lewis says, we, we, we cannot do this. We can't just call him a teacher. He says, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic 
on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. See, what Jesus is saying, what C.S. Lewis is saying here, is you have two options. Either Jesus is Lord and has all authority over your life, or you are Lord, deciding on all of these created things to have authority over your life. Now that word authority, what does that mean? To have authority, it implies authorship. It's in the word. Do you see it in there? Do you hear it in there? Authority, author? And what does an author do? Author is the one who writes the story. An author is the one who says the more, most important words to you about you. It's the one who begins the story, continues the story, and finishes the story, and defines the story here on earth. Who is the author of you? Are you the author of your story? Are you letting other people's words be the author of story? Are you letting Jesus, the one who has all authority, be the author of your story? You see, because Jesus is not just only the author of these words in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. He is the author of you. That Jesus, we read it earlier today, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For by him, through him, and for him, all things were created that were created, including me and you. He is the word of God made flesh, who was with God in the beginning. But this one who had the authority to come and condemn us, because we chose to follow a different story? He didn't. The one who had the authority to reject us and get rid of us because we tried to, to, to write our own story, he doesn't. No, Jesus, the author of our lives, the author and perfecter of our salvation, he did not come into this world to condemn it, but to save it. He did not come into this world to reject you, but to restore you. Because Jesus not only is the author of all living things, he's also the author of his own life. He says this in John chapter 10. He says, no one takes it, that is his life, from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority, there's that word again, to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This is the charge I received from my father. You see, what did Jesus do with the authority that he was given. He taught the word of God. He did the mighty works of God. He lived in the ways of God. But he also wrote this story of salvation before the foundations of the world were ever laid. He did not die because someone on this earth forced him to die. He said, I'm writing my death 
into my own story so that you who tried to find life here on this earth that led to death will have life. He says, I'm going to die so that you might live. I'm the one who wrote the story that I would die so that you wouldn't have to die in your sins. And there's another place in the Gospel of Matthew where it says the word finished. When Jesus was on the cross. You know what he did on that cross? He finished something you and I started. What is the wages of our idolatry? What is the wages of our sin? It's death. See, Jesus finished what we started where we tried to look for life and find definition and meaning and purpose and identity in all these other stories, be it a career, a relationship, entertainment, you name it. What we started to look for life that would only bring us death, he finished by paying the debt on the cross that we owed. So that on the cross, when he says it is finished, we can be amazed and follow him down to that tomb where he will be laid for three days. And so he can prove to you that he is not only the author of your redemption and your salvation, but also the author of life. He was raised from the grave three days later by the spirit of the living God. And when you put your trust and faith in him, when you are not only amazed by what Jesus has done for you, but says, I want to follow him with everything. He doesn't just leave you amazed. He leaves you changed. He gives his life-giving spirit to you because he knows that we cannot do this on our own. He gives us the power of the life-giving spirit. So we don't just love the words of Jesus, but we could be a church that lives the words of Jesus. So we don't just say we're amazed at the way of Jesus, but by his spirit, we can participate in the ways of Jesus. And just like he invited us to come follow him, we will tell this amazing story. We get to tell this amazing story to others to say, Jesus not only has amazed me, but has changed me, and he can do the same for you. Come and follow him, and follow no other, because in him you will find life. And we can rejoice with the Apostle Paul who says, and I'm confident in this, that Jesus, who began a good work in you, might bring it to completion, might bring it to a flourishing finish at the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? This is our hope, that we're not just amazed by what Jesus did for us, but we also follow him in all of his ways. 